All right. Well, no pun intended, but I got some fresh bread talk here for the audience. Oh, I have discovered fantastic. something new. Now, now I went over to the Albert Hein the other day, um, and I'm realizing as I'm lining this up in my head, do you do this thing, Brandon, where like you're like talking in your head faster than your mouth can get it out, and then you'll just like <laughs> skip ahead to an idea that you're already talking about in your head? And, uh, like you kind of start, I mean, I think my wife, I think my wife and probably several coworkers would confirm without a doubt. I do this like, Oh, I've already moved ahead in my mind, like three or four yeah, minutes ahead of yeah. the conversation. But yes, and all it, the time, you know, I think I've mentioned this before and I'll get back to the bread talk. Uh, but, uh, I, I, like a lot of us, Brandon have, have been reading up on being less of an asshole. Uh, and you know, one of the things you're supposed to do is you're supposed to listen. And, and there's this whole, I don't know if it's science, there's this whole folklore. And by folklore, I don't mean to be dismissive. It's a whole like, you know, whatever is like, whatever is one step down from Malcolm, Malcolm Gladwell. If you've got like, you've got like Sir Isaac Newton and, and then you've got sort of like, you know, whoever, whoever invented the people invented the CRISPR. And then you've got right. like someone who knows what differential equations is. And then you've got like, uh, the thinking fast, thinking slow person. And then no. you've got like Malcolm Gladwell, whatever is below yeah. Malcolm Gladwell. I think that's kind of like folklore, right? You, I don't think we say old wives tales anymore. Do we say like, you know, annoying uncle at Thanksgiving knowledge, like Fox knowledge. That's yeah. what we call it. Right. Yeah. Right. Anyways. So you're supposed to listen. And I, I love all that. You got your nonviolent communication. You got your listening, you got your feedback loops, you got your whatever. But my concern, Brandon, my concern is I have a lot of ideas that are happening at me all the time in my head. And I feel like I cannot keep track of them unless I just let them flow out of my mouth. Like, you know, like those old pictures of a, you know, a New York fire hydrant that's been busted open. And so like, if I am not like constantly just spewing out the things that are happening in my head, they're going to be gone. I'm going to lose them. Now, I think to cross this together with another popular piece of folklore mindfulness that's been going on for a few years, what they tell you when you're, when you're, uh, when you're meditating, if you have this flow of ideas, you're just supposed to let them go. And I think, and you know, I wrote this as a Kindle note because I don't have, you know, margins, right? Marginalia anymore, but I have the same concern. I'm like, yeah, but that's like saying, you know, there's just like gold coins, just like going through the sewer grates down to, down to it. Who's going to like eat them? It's just like, I, I, I do not accept that if I have these brilliant ideas that have heretofore brought me to the successful place in my life that I am at, that I'm just supposed to let them dissipate. Like, I don't, I don't know. So I have this conflict. Now, mindfulness, that's fine, right? You're going to decide to just like kind of go out to the farm and like, you know, chill out. But I feel like, in a situation where I'm supposed to be listening, I need, I need a tool, right? I need something so that I don't, these coins don't get pissed away to some sort of galactic space monster that eats children. Mm -hmm. Yeah, no, I like it. So a couple things to say, I think, you know, your idea there of, uh, I think what you're trying to say is you're trying to fight, you're going to, you have a lot of conventional uh, wisdom coming that's at you. That's the phrase. Right? That's, yeah. That's the old, cause that's where Malcolm Gladwell and, um, you know, the Freakonomics guys, they, they all made their money on like, well, this is called, in fact, the first chapter of Freakonomics was all about, well, conventional wisdom, the phrase was actually meant to you know, kind of mean the opposite. So, so that's what you have. You're trying to sort through a lot of conventional wisdom. And I, I think we all struggle with this. The other thing that, um, 
why <laughs> why you were uh, speaking there, I thought of like one. Well, like one, if you have a lot to say and you kind of feel this way, it is a great for podcasting, bad for uh, close <laughs> personal relationships. So I would say that would be you know it's, it's that's what my tombstone's gonna say. That's right. It's uh, it's a great. It's it's like everything in life. The strengths and weaknesses uh, of everything uh, come in together. And then the final thing I just wanted to point out, somewhat uh, off topic here, but uh, you know, a few weeks ago, I think on an episode, uh, Matt Ray and I talked about there. I found this article that said some people do not have an inner monologue. The idea that like you know you kind of mm. most most of us, I think, like when we think, like you kind of talk to yourself in some way. And uh, I I I'm still baffled that someone could have it. In fact, I got a few people in Slack uh, reached down and were just like, I don't even think this is possible that you could not have an inner monologue. And I think even on, on those episodes we talked about, like like we, like if you didn't have an inner monologue, maybe I I pose this question like if you didn't have an inner monologue like i don't i think you cease to be the same person like if i was like mm. not thinking and thinking to myself and talking to myself i think i would just be like a completely different person Oof. so i don't know so for you kote i think you have a strong inner monologue it's great for podcasting and you, you just i don't know a lot of conventional wisdom to sort out in life and uh, you know i think we fa- we all face that every day oh man that inner monologue thing that was that was you know the over in the uh, other part of podcast land that i that i like a lot the john roderick podcast land there was a couple there was a month there where he was just flabbergasted by this lack of inner monologue like i almost feel like you know not to be all uh, solipsistic or whatever, but like, I, I feel like anything other than that inner monologue is just some mask that I'm constantly wearing. Like, I don't understand, like, like there is nothing else than the inner monologue. Like, and, and not only that, you know, and, uh, as the dude says, you know, thankfully I am sticking to a strict regimen of drugs and alcohol to cope. But like, I feel like there is not only one inner monologue, there is like a whole galactic senate of inner monologues. And like, I just, you know, uh, who, who are these people that, that must be well, the, I, the, the Buddha, thinking. the Buddha has no, no inner monologue. Well, I was gotta, th- I gotta think though, if you are such the person that you don't have an inner monologue, it's unlikely you're ever going to have a podcast. It seems almost like a prerequisite ah. having a podcast, but I would, I don't know if, uh, the one you mentioned, is that Roderick on the line or one yeah, of those podcasts? Yeah. I don't, I don't, I mean, someone, surely someone has done it. Like I would just, I would love to hear an interview with someone that does not have a, and an inner uh, inner monologue like just like because i think one of those articles they they try to describe like what it is like how the person would think and it was i don't know i mean they wrote a lot of words but at the end you're like i I still don't understand it like i don't understand like what like when you think yourself like oh like where should we go to dinner or something (laughs) like like what like what pops in just like pictures or like abstract signs like i I don't know it's fascinating that it could exist well listen if there's some listener who doesn't have an inner monologue? We should we should interview them for oh, a little without bit. Without a doubt, I think I think we need to figure that. We'll start out. We'll start a we'll start a Slack channel called uh, hashtag Roadrunner for people <laughs> who have no inner monologue and just right. like blissfully succeed through life. And uh, the rest of us will be in uh, Coyote, you know, Acme headquarters. Uh, well, before I get to the bread talk, you know, we got we got the uh, I I remember the word that that our our dear friend Jean Pierre used way back when, and that was hamthrax, as someone <laughs> someone uh, reminded us. Uh, which I think I think that phrase right there is the briefest summary of JP's sense of humor <laughs> available. Is is he he came he I don't know if he came up with that term, but he used it. And, uh, yeah. th- there you go. So, you know, since, since that's come about, a lot of us at Pivotal and in the Pivotal, well, I don't work at Pivotal anymore. I work at Tanzu, uh, Tanzu VMware, or I think it's pronounced 
Tanzu. Uh, but we, uh, we have a virtual conference next week on March 19th. Now it's 24 hours long. I still don't know what that means, but it's 24 hours long. Uh, I, I, you know, I was not aware there were that many hours in the day because I try to sleep and, uh, ignore a lot of the hours, but apparently there are. And, it, and it's gonna, you can sign up for free. And, uh, it's obviously gonna be video. There's no, uh, other option. Uh, but it's, uh, March 19th and it starts at 9 a.m. California time. I've started to just say California time. You know, I'm sorry, Oregon mm-hmm. and, uh, Washington and, uh, Pacific, Baja. Pacific time zone. You've just yeah. been lumped in with just, the one big state. It's just California time. That's right. cause, cause really most people that I schedule with are in California. So they'll know what it's I'm gonna saying. go. I mean, the powers of uh, observation and mathematics. So it's going to go through 9 a.m. the following day. Uh, I think so. It'll probably go to 9 a.m. California time. Now, now, of of course, it has some weird URL. But if you go to softwaredefinedtalk.com slash 222, uh, you can find the URL for it. Or if you go look at my Twitter stream, you can find the URL uh, or just search for spring live. I think that'll find it. And, uh, y'all should sign up for it and tune in. I'm going to be giving like, I think the opening talk, uh, and, uh, and then we're going to have, uh, I think James Waters might give a talk and then we'll have someone else. And then after that, it's just like, we got reactive programming, event stream processing, multi-cloud architecture. You know, the thing about multi-cloud architecture, consider how sets and subsets work. If you've only got a single cloud, Multi-cloud architecture still applies. Not a Ooh, problem. Wow. There's, Unwrap there's that. Yeah. That is a mind blower. Go, mm-hmm. go, go discuss that with your inner voice, my friend. Uh, <laughs> we got the serverless computing, continuous delivery, Kubernetes, of course, microservices and high performing teams. Are we going to talk about low performing teams? Only sarcastically. Uh, so. <laughs> You should y'all y'all should uh, check that out again. Go to uh, softwaredefined. I think I would love for for some brave soul. I would love someone uh, to uh, live tweet all twenty four hours. That's Could a good idea. Yeah. Could you do it? Could you go twenty four hours straight and then at the end, like w- like what do you look like? Are you just you know maybe every hour they post a picture of what you know of their deterioration as they uh, as like uh, goes into the late hours wherever they live. Yeah, that's good. And finally, what I'd like to say is, even if you don't want to attend, I would like you to go to the website, which I'll put at softwaredefinedtalk.com slash two two two, or it's in my Twitter thing. But like, you got to check out the little art that they came up with it. I'm looking at it more now. It's good stuff. And in particular. There's this one <clears throat> guy with a an afro. I assume he's a guy because he has a beard. But what do I know? Glue can do miraculous things. Uh, but there's a bearded person there. And boy, he doesn't look like the kind of person. You know what he's doing? He looks angry. Or I should say, they look angry. Uh, maybe what they're doing is they're looking at some software that could use some better spring programming and some multi-cloud stuff uh, to make better. Wow, are all these individual characters? I'm just like they didn't reuse any of wow, look at that. That's yeah, quite the that is, uh, man. I love I, this I, art. I'm gonna find out who did say, this because art I, direction at VMware has stepped up a little bit. You, you know what I'm saying? Extra. I mean it's that's uh yeah, that that took some time. This that's is kind of this amazing. is this is this is what happens when your company makes billions of dollars, Brandon. Like wow. the, well, well, I'm I'm quite impressed. Uh, you know, my uh, kudos to the uh, the artist or the art directing team behind the scenes there. So let me get back to this uh, this bread talk. Now, uh, so I went into the Albert Hein the other day, uh, and uh, you know, I like I like to make the kids uh, what I call hot dogs every now and then. Now, what I call hot dogs is actually a bratwurst in a bun, mm, and um, sounds good. 
Are you familiar with what uh, I think we've covered this perhaps way back in the back catalog, but you back catalog. But are you familiar with stoner bread? Otherwise known no, as Hawaiian bread? Uh, I think you've mentioned it, but I am not that familiar. I could not tell you how to define it. Ba- basically in the States, you know, you got this thing called like the Hawaiian bread and it comes in sort of a circle or a hexagonal shape. And uh, it's just white bread that's super sweet um, and, you know, whatever. But you can also get a variation, uh, the same type of bread that's like really sweet and kind of like a um, a golden yellowy color. Um, and it's like just sweet. So they also have this bread that are like tiny hot dog buns that are kind of made out of this stoner bread, like really sweet. So you cook yourself up a bratwurst. You throw it in some of that, uh, that, that, that stoner bread. Kids love that. Put ketchup on it. My, my daughter, since we've lived over here, they have this thing. You can probably get them at your, your, uh, your, your fine, uh, Asian restaurants, uh, back in the States. They had these like deep fried onion crispies and she loves that on there. Those, mm, those are that really sounds good. good. Yeah. My son, of course, like, you know, he, he doesn't like to accessorize his food. Anyways, uh, I was, I was looking around, uh, cause we were having like hot dogs and burgers and at the Albert Hein, they, it's as if, it's as if there had been a run on the bread. Uh, and, um, to be, to be clear, no one is freaking out here in the Amsterdam. I did see two people bicycling around with big, uh, packages of toilet paper, but I don't think that was because of, uh, panicking. The Dutch people, very calm. I don't, I think they're like, you know what? The sea didn't kill me today. It was a good day. Thing, things worked <laughs> out. Uh, so, uh, I was in there and they only had, they have this, tell, I think they ha- would have this at an HEB, but they have these, this bread, this whole section of bread that's like half baked bread or two thirds baked bread, right? And the idea is you take this bread and you would put it in the oven for like 10 minutes and then you have, you have like a simulacrum or a kind of like a, uh, you kind of like incrementally finish the bread out. Do you have that? Mm, I don't think so. It's very know. popular around here. Like every store has like this whole section that's like half baked bread. So, okay. so they were out of they were out of the regular bread. Mm-hmm. So I found I went to the, I got the half baked bread. Now okay. now footnote I later discovered that they had just switched the locations of the full baked bread and the half baked bread, but that's neither here nor there. So I got I got a bag of half baked Kaiser rolls, and you just pop them in the oven at some you know as I have established Celsius is some sort of like bullshit conspiracy of Europeans I don't understand what that is, but right. like you put it in there at two twenty Celsius, uh, and 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 it's delicious. But I discovered something else. I wanted a quick snack one day, and I wanted to have a very uh, a variation on a Dutch breakfast. Now I saw someone the other day going down the street. They had like this was like one of the most Dutch pictures in my mind I've ever seen sort of little vignettes is a lady was kind of like bicycling down the street and she had a piece of bread that had <laughs> a, uh, that had one piece of bread that had right. a piece of like, uh, like cheese on it, like one of those long pieces of cheese. And she was just eating that for her breakfast. And I was like, there's Netherlands. Right there. That's, that's, that's how they do it. I like it. Sounds good. I'm getting hungry. Just the more you're talking. So bring some bread. Uh-huh. So I was inspired by her and uh, I wanted a snack the other day. So I took, I didn't have time to heat it up. So I took one of those pieces of bread, Kaiser mm-hmm. roll, and I sliced it in half. I threw a piece of cheese on it. Mm-hmm. Now I'm not a monster. So I also put like a little bit of olive oil on it. Uh, and, uh, and then I ate it and I was like, Oh my God, this bread is delicious. Right. And it wasn't actually half cooked. It was, you know, more or less fully cooked because it's on a shelf, but mm-hmm. it was like just barely cooked. 
and it is so good. And I have since had, this is the weekend, I have since had like two or three of those breads. And what you do is you slice this bread open and you get your, you know, your European butter. Man, mm-hmm. when I get back to the States, I'm going to be ruined on butter. I'm going to have to buy like the $8 like thing of butter that comes in that tub. Like right. uh, our Finnish friend who's married to Charles, she does this. But you get the, this, this butter comes in a tub and you kind of spread it out. But mm-hmm. you go, you go get your, uh, your spreadable butter and you spread it on really thick on both sides of this, this half cooked bread. Oh, so good. It is basically for people who enjoy bread. It is the equivalent of like a cookie dough ice cream. The half baked <laughs> bread is like the cookie dough. Wow. I don't know. It doesn't, I have to say like you sold it really hard here. I, I, I think I'll have to experience it because it, I don't know. Half baked bread is just like on the face of it. I'm like, no, no that's no. not what I want. I don't, I don't want that. I want now, like, it's not I want it hot out of the oven. I yeah. yeah. I, I hear you. I, now hot out of the oven is better. I mean, this is, uh-huh. this is like, you know, this is, this is something between uh, Daniel Kahneman and uh, Malcolm, Malcolm Gladwell. It's like in this right. zone that we're talking about, you know, all, all you can eat is what's in front of you. I think is is oh, what okay. uh, how gotcha. this goes. All right, so I need to. But I tell you what, you didn't have from what I learned this week, Kote. What you didn't have on the way home, you didn't have any iced tea. You weren't able to get a big glass of iced tea there in uh, in in uh, Holland oh or in the Netherlands, as they say, because I got lots of feedback that iced tea is not a thing anywhere but the United States. Oh my god! Now so, now, so, now now you're just fucking with me. That's now terrible. I'm gonna say like, but it does sound like as you were kind of going through it, I was like. I will. I, I don't know. I'm going to take your word on on the on the half baked bread, so it's good. But like, if I did have it with some butter, I was thinking, you know, what I'd want to go with it? A big glass of iced tea. Tall but glass of iced tea. And I you, would love it. You know, you know, if I was at a restaurant, you know what I would have after a tall glass of iced tea? Iced tea. I'd have a free <laughs> refill. Another yes, tall glass yes, of iced would. tea. It's <laughs> right. Well, I did. I was going to say I got some people. Not that many people, but some people agreed with me on like there's just too much emphasis on coffee, and then uh, and there was actually. Most of the world is against iced tea. That's also what I learned. But I also learned that most of the world, like iced tea, is like the nest tea. It's like the it's like some kind of weird no. soda kind of thing. And I was trying to explain to them and fight them off in Slack. Like, no, no, that's different here. It's totally different. It's just like just basically water oh boiled with iced tea. And then they're like, no, it's not good. And so anyway, one person called it gasoline. I was like, no, I mean, we have that other bad stuff. That's separate. I was like, I don't drink that either. I don't think anyone should drink that stuff. But regular iced tea is great. Yeah. Um, oh, but I do. No, I, I, I did. I, <laughs> but sometimes I, I, you learn where you live. I'm like, oh, this is primarily just a U.S. thing. And then even in the U.S., it's primarily, broadly speaking, in the South. So yeah. I, was like, oh, I, I, think, I, think, I think a couple of years ago we had that discussion among the community where the, uh, the iced tea line is, right? And not <laughs> yes, only, not only right. the iced tea line, but the sweet iced tea versus, as we call it in Texas, Regular iced tea. Regular iced tea, yes. Yeah. yes. So that was the little thing. But yeah, not a thing. Iced tea, not a thing in most of the world. That's, yeah, I mean, I, I, know. I would like to, to quadruple underline something you just said there. When I, when I moved over here, I did order what was described as iced tea uh, several times to discover that what it was was bullshit. Uh, it was just basically tea loaded. It was like sugar that was liquefied and made brown. Yeah, like the syrupy stuff. That's all bad. Yeah, yeah, yeah. so that's not what we're talking what, about. What they need to call that is cold tea. Not iced tea. (laughs) Oh, Oh, man. What I wouldn't give for one of those. uh, Do they, do they, do they still have those? uh, Look at, I'm, I'm, I'm like calling in from like, you know, Mars. Do they still have those big, 
There must be a name for these cups. Not not a not a red solo cup, but you know those big, somewhat opaque red cups. Yes, of that course. are kind of textures, right? The big but tumblers. yeah, they're kind of like textured yeah. on the outside, right? You know, they they got like that. Some weird would go texture. so far as to say like they're basically. Hey, do you have like an iced tea glass, an iced tea cup? Oh. Right? That's what people would say, right? Because it's like a giant. And then you show this to like someone from not from the U.S. They're like. Does a whole family drink out of that? And you're like, no, this is just a giant cloud. And then, yeah. you know, but again, like, again, you sometimes you just learn, like, oh, this is so foreign to the whole world. Like, they don't drink this much iced tea. They think it's crazy. They think that the fact there's ice in drinks is crazy, that the the cup is giant. I'm like, I don't know. I like it all. I'm there, there. I'm full on American in that sense. I like it all. I, I just, all I just, it. I just think that the, 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 the tea, I won't go so far as to say the culinary, but the, the tea innovation cycle in Europe had a major setback after World War One and World War Two. They just, they had to, you know, we've got like a 20, 30 year lead on them because they were just rebuilding. Like I read, I, I read some time ago that the, uh, if you look around the Netherlands, there are not that, or at least Amsterdam, I assume the rest, there's not that many really old trees because oddly enough, after the war, I'm sure also during the war, but after the war, it was so hard to get like fuel, like uh, fire fuel. I'm mm-hmm. I'm sure also as they would say uh, petrol or whatever they say. Uh it was so hard to get like cooking fuel that they would just chop down all the trees. So I mean, you know, think about it Brandon. If you're spending 10 20 years, you know, like the the British, they got their uh, their food rationing, you know, they're calling the midwife all the time, whatever it is they're doing up there. And then down here, they're out there chopping trees in uh, Vondel Park so they can like, you know, cook their stamp pots. You don't have time to innovate tea. You know, like that's <laughs> low on the list. Yeah, I got it. Yeah. You're, you're not, you're not saying you don't, you don't have some think tank that's like, all right, all right. Uh, I'm glad we all came together here, uh, for our meeting. Uh, you know, uh, would you finish up that piece of bread with cheese on it? And uh, so we can pay attention. Let's, let's think about what we're going to do with tea. Let's really, <laughs> let's really just, uh, let's blow it out of the water. So, that's right. you know, oh, that's great. I you know, it. speaking of blowing it out of the water. On uh, on Tuesday, I think I mentioned this last time, but we ha- we here at VMware, uh, we had uh, we had a big old big old uh, March tenth, uh, sort of like I think it was it was one of the annual marketing things. It was it was about a, I think maybe about a ninety hour like a uh, video fest you could tune into. But what it was all about uh, was was the announcement of essentially. I think the core of what was talked about there, you know, it's kind of going over what Tanzu is and what the idea of Tanzu is, the portfolio. But mm-hmm. I think the most salient thing that that was that was went o- went over that was covered there uh, was essentially that now, uh, you know, and uh, you know, of course, there's there's some uh, I wouldn't call them terms and conditions, but you got to figure out the right kind of skews and the combination of stuff to do in a portfolio as big as VMware's. But essentially, if you have like VMware stuff, vSphere stuff. You, now there's a uh, version of it you can get that just has Kubernetes baked into it that allows you to basically have a Kubernetes cluster or, or however many you might like, uh, which is the, um, I think the full name, you have to get the, um, VMware cloud foundation. So you got to get, you have to have the, uh, VCF with Tanzu or something at the moment. Right. And Tanzu, I didn't actually, I've been saying Tanzu this whole time. So my yeah, me too. I say Tanzu, right. Tanzu, whatever. Okay. Uh, that is the service mesh. Is that right? Is that or well, Tanzu is like is like if so. First of all, listen, I'm <laughs> I am not I don't have any certifications of being fully trained on things. So this yeah, is this sure. is this is my take on stuff and so forth and so on. You know, this is all for entertainment purposes only. The the uh, 
as they used to say, the truth is out there if if you if you can look it up. But let me tell you my interpretation of things, and and that is, Tanzu is like an umbrella brand, right? So okay. similarly to like Tivoli was an umbrella brand, right? Mm-hmm. Or um, what's a more contemporary thing? I'm really showing my age there. <laughs> uh, <laughs> you know, you know, for everyone who remembers Tivoli, uh, but you know, it's or or uh, Windows. Right. Like mm-hmm. Windows is an umbrella brand or iPhone is an umbrella brand. Right. So Tanzu actually encompasses like many things. And what Tanzu encompasses and I'm, I'm just, again, I'm going to use my kind of like terminology that isn't always like the official stuff or whatever, but that I think maps to what listeners will know. So Tanzu basically contains four or five things in that brand. Again, think about it as a uh, as a brand. You know, uh, and, and, and so one, you've got all the pivotal stuff, which is basically what we used to call pivotal cloud foundry is now Tanzu application service. Uh, cause if you remember way back in, in pivotal cloud foundry days, at one point it was only PCF pivotal cloud foundry. And then we broke it out into, uh, uh, Pivotal application service, which was the PaaS stuff. And then you also had PKS running next to that. And you also had functional stuff. I mean, it's just all this stuff, you know, whatever is, is slide distinctions, but essentially it's what probably everyone would know as Pivotal Cloud Foundry or the Tanzu application service. So that's in there. That's sort of on top, right? And then there's a whole bunch of underneath that is a whole bunch of like stuff, like a build service and all of the support for middleware and framework things, all sorts of things like that. Um, it's kind of like an application service portfolio, right? Like a WebSphere. WebSphere is a good analogy or a JBoss or all these kind of things. There's all sorts of stuff scurrying around. But you got your uh, Pivotal Cloud Foundry up there. And then sort of underneath it, underpinning it, is essentially Kubernetes runs the whole thing for you. Um, and you can act, you can use Kubernetes directly if you want. Or you can do it through the typical Pivotal Cloud Foundry, Tanzu application server uh, way of All doing right. things. And then what about the Heptio stuff? Is that is that in there as, so, yeah, as the, well now? The, the Heptio stuff is the Kubernetes. There's two Kubernetes oh, is things, the right? thing. Got so it. so right. we, we have, so Pivotal had its own way of doing Kubernetes. Pivotal and VMware worked together on this thing called uh, the Pivotal Container Service, PKS. So that that is the thing that is has been used for, for a while now. And then, and then, uh, Heptio stuff is now renamed the, uh, Tanzu Kubernetes grid. And so, you know, these two things exist as, as basically Kubernetes distros on their own. But, uh, I think, I think they're sort of like, you know, on a, on a path to be very friendly with, friendly with each other and, gotcha. and eventually gotcha. merge. So it's kind of like the Amazon EKS versus ECS got different options here. If I want right. to package all my stuff up and, my Docker containers, you're going to give me many ways, at least two different ways to like kind of to run all this for me. That's, right, that's right, the, right. the gist of it. And, 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 but, but then the, the broader thing. So looking outside of the, the, looking outside of pivotal land, so to speak, or Tanzu land, like the bigger thing is that Kubernetes basically just is, is, will run for you inside of your vSphere stuff, inside of whatever, not whatever, but. Eventually, I assume not just in VCF, but whatever VMware stuff you have. So what that means is that like over time, I mean, if you're running VCF now, then you can, you can do it. But over time, basically, if you run VMware, you'll have Kubernetes stuff at your disposal. And, gotcha. uh, so, so, and so I you assume go. this is all geared at the, uh, like, so all the, you know, I, I talked to a lot of, uh, customers doing this. Like, so if I'm like, and a lot of people are, right? So if I've been using VMware for a long time, I've got like my old traditional, 
VMware uh, installation running all kinds of VMs, probably some old Windows stuff, some Windows 2008. You know, all that's out there running. I can I can u- continue to use that as it is, and then I can uh, you you there at VMware will come come uh, and bring all of this w- uh, to me, this Tanzu stuff, and then uh, I can uh, run all my new stuff in the same in the same portfolio. Is that, yeah, yeah. Is that yeah. the benefit? That's that's what I'm getting. Right that's the, the idea. That's the idea. Now all again, right. now again. I purposely never really pay attention or memorize roadmaps because like what I learned when I, I tell people this all the time, what I learned when I was a little bit as an analyst, right? Because you get told all this like NDA stuff, but I definitely learned when I did M&A is like, you don't want to know things because, because you'll, you'll screw it up. So like, right. I, I don't really know all, how all the SKUs and the release dates and stuff fit together. Uh, but yes, what you said is the point, okay. right? That sounds uh it sounds so will this work its way into your your new uh I don't know your new executive EBC talk are you going to have some Tanzu slides or are you like, oh, sure. what are you going to do You got to have right. some Tanzu slides Brandon Tanzu What are you slides? talking about I, I'm never going to learn how to say this correctly can we add like a u can we just can we has the spelling been completely locked down I need another vowel in there Well please. I I was so. joking in Twitter earlier today now Tanzu is spelled T A N Z U but mm-hmm. um, I'm starting to think that maybe in the Commonwealth, it'll be T-A-N-S-U because <laughs> Z's, okay. Z's right. or Z's, as they say, don't exist anywhere where uh, Queen Elizabeth is a monarch, as far as Ooh. I understand. Okay. I don't think well, that's going to be – all right. That's going to be an issue. They've, right. got, they've only got 20-whatever letters in their alphabet. <laughs> they, call it a, they call it a zebra and not a zebra. Okay. All right. Good to know. All right, Z. All right. So, well, all right. Well, good. So I don't know. Well, what's your take? I mean, you're there. I mean, I'm sure you're excited. Like, what's what's the mood? Is this like was everyone like raring to get this out? Has it been like months of work, years of work, or like, yeah, what's behind the scenes take? I I think I think yeah I think I think uh, you know there there's a um I th- I think I think I'll we'll have a link to it where uh, our CEO Pat as as we call him was uh, he was at an investor conference. And there, there's a good question that, uh, that someone had kind of just, what's the deal with all of this? And I think, I think he summed it up well. And this is, you know, summed up by other people is there was, uh, what's the phrase for it? We had, a, we had, we had like a cycle over the past six years where like everyone was trying to figure out like what the best new application development and runtime model was. Right. And some people were very excited about what was it called? The, uh, the data center of the future that's right yeah that's right yeah yep, and, i was i liked it i was in on that one yep. yeah and then you got the mm-hmm. docker people with their things over here and then you got mm-hmm. you got all those uh those small little pass people that no one uh remembers anymore that are owned by like swedish telecoms and stuff which i mean is fine right no problem no shade being thrown everyone was trying to figure out including uh pivotal and vmware as well like and google and amazon like Amazon just released some new container runtime, so they're still trying to yeah. figure it out. Which which yeah, is getting your friends at OpenShift, and, yeah, and yeah, that crew, yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. It, we're just going. Everyone's trying to figure it out, and eventually, like, you know, it's all like it would be a. I think maybe you could take a Stephen O'Grady and the whole Redmond crew and kind of try to do the, uh, the uh, the analysis of when this tipping point occurred, to use another loaded term. But at some point, everyone was just like, "It's Kubernetes done," and I don't really know when that happened or or how or whatever but i think i think that's the thing is like everyone's just ready to like be done with this be done with it in the sense of like let's decide and then let's actually like do this and have this this uh these features in here in this way of uh 
you know, competing on that and add it into our stacks and then move on to other things. So I think, I think there is that kind of, I think collectively across all of the vendors, uh, there's almost the sigh of relief of like, all right, we decided on that. So we're done now. Well, I think it's so, I think it's like one for, I go one step further even say is I think everyone has agreed, you know, containers, that's the way you want to package up all your runtimes. Kubernetes will help you orchestrate it. And then, now the open question is like, okay, how do we make this simple, but not so simple that it doesn't allow you to kind of like do what you want? And that feels like where we're at now. Whereas like yeah, you know, Ta- yeah, yeah. Tanzu, right? You you just outlined why there's some various packaging uh, uh, offerings there. You know, Amazon, of course, they're, they're doing their thing. Your friends at OpenShift, they're, they're doing their thing. So that's seemed, and then of course, you know, Kelsey Hightower, he's like tweeting out stuff like, you know, like, what Kubernetes is just a thought. One day it'll all be, <laughs> it'll all be gone or something. So, you know, Google's doing their thing to try to make it simple and figure it out. So, I guess that's the the part. I guess the if it's, I don't know if you want to say it's like figuring out the abstraction or like working through the leaky abstraction that exists. Um, you know, even HPE announced. I think they they're getting in there. They're throwing out a a distribution this week. So, I think that'll be the next like I don't know, whatever eighteen twenty four months. Like, what's the What's the right way to package that off? And yeah, you feel yeah. Your, your dog will be excited about that too. Yeah, she's always excited about containers. She's uh, <laughs> she's really she's what you know what she really gets her her uh, her dander up is uh, unikernels. She's like whatever <laughs> whatever happened to unikernels? Any <laughs> uh, any yeah you know I think so I I finally last week uh, gave gave like the first I did the first time of giving my like Kubernetes for developers presentation, and I don't know. The uh, the feedback from the audience was like not not as great as it could have been. Uh, it was it was a little below average. The best feedback that I got, the comment was, um, it was something like, "Oh, this did didn't know that this was a a, spo- a vendor talk. I wish I wish they would have said something." Now, now the secret uh, apparently to them was that the whole track was called sponsored talks, uh, <laughs> and also at the beginning I said, "This is a sponsored talk." So I feel like I can talk about where I, you know, the vendor that I work for, but that's fine. Maybe they, maybe they came in late. Uh, but anyways, I'll have to improve the talk, but like in doing all the, uh, the research for that talk and giving it, like you do realize exactly, right? The word that, that popped in my head many times was leaky abstraction, right? And sort of like <clears throat> in theory, uh, and, 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 you know, in theory is the, uh, the, the, the fulcrum of the insight of the leaky abstraction concept. The leaky abstraction concept being that we may have layers of abstraction in our IT where we're trying to hide having to worry about the layer below you, which, and and that usually works, right? Like we don't have to write assembly anymore. We don't have to worry about like processor scheduling and all this other stuff I don't know anything about. Like those abstractions don't really leak that much, except when you worry about caching and things like, well, whatever. Um, uh, but in this instance, if you are using Kubernetes, there are constraints or requirements that leak upward into your application layer. And, you know, most famously, it's really bad to depend on local state, right? So you have to worry about state or another one is your configuration is going to be injected into your application. Or another one is that, uh, your uh 
your applications, the processes in your applications, the containers are going to come and go on a 30 second warning notice, unless you can figure that to be less than 30 seconds, whatever, all these things that actually affect the way you write your application. So you can't just be totally ignorant of it. And to, you know, trying to get back to, from my meandering journey here. Um, yeah, I mean, there actually is a pretty definitive list of things that as a developer, if you are going to be deploying directly on Kubernetes, you need, they're like, there's code that you need to write, uh, and, and things that like, you have to know you're on Kubernetes. Like you can't just e extract, abstract that away. Now, obviously if you use some layer, like whether it might be spring cloud or even a, let's say a Tanzu application service or, you know, whatever sort of like inferior systems that might be available from competitors of ours. Uh, they sort of like hide you from that stuff. And, and even like, you know, if you look at the way that like something like a spring cloud Kubernetes does, like it basically, like if you're a spring developer, it lets you continue to behave like a spring developer, so to speak. But if you're directly like using Kubernetes, there's like all this stuff that you have to uh, code into your application, which is normal. Right. If you're doing, mm -hmm. if you're doing Java e enterprise stuff, you got to worry about a bunch of stuff. Right. But it, uh, it, it is. And, and it's sort of like, I bring this up because that, 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 that was kind of the, the way I laid out this talk is like, I had this one slide that was all the quotes I could find that were basically, you know, like platform for building platforms. Kubernetes should be boring. Like, you know, one, one of the, one of the best, you know, from Bridget, you know, like containers aren't going to fix your broken culture, like all these things that are sort of like, all right, I read all those quotes and now I got to go write some fucking code. <laughs> so what do I do? Well, I do think to help people, there's actually, I don't know who put it out here in the show notes. So kudos to whoever it did, but, um, from, uh, engineer better, there's a Kubernetes is not a PaaS or K8. So there's a link in the show notes there under the cube corner section. And it's a very good, um, kind of, if you will, does a really good job, some good diagrams here of laying out the various abstractions and kind of like where they begin and end. So it starts yeah, all yeah. the way at uh, infrastructure as a service and it's got uh, Cloud Foundry and Bosch, right? That's, you know, Kube, uh, Kote's uh, little corner there. Then it's got just generic Kubernetes. And then it's got our friends at the, the public clouds, AKS, EKS, and GKE. And then it's got, now it's got Cloud Foundry on Kubernetes. So what would be great just to give other people work. I would like to see the the author update this for Tanzu. That would be a good one to add. I'd like to see it updated for OpenShift and a couple others, right? Because that would give you, um, you know, because because I think that's like a good um, back to your thing, your developer pitch, right? It's, it's it's a slide like this is sort of just a great thing to put in front of an audience and say, okay, like what do you already know? What are the things that you may not know but you really care about? Because that's going to give you a clue to go learn about it, right? And then what are the things that you're willing to, if you will, live with the abstractions? Because that, that'll be simpler. Because, I mean, that's really what the developer mindset has to decide, right? Like, yeah. what, what's the level where I'm just, you know, like, whatever, whether it's like the Linux kernel being the example. Like, at this point, most of us are just like, you're at the mercy of your kernel. Or you're not going to get involved and change that. Um, so, you know, what, what, what is within these large frameworks, what is the thing you're just like, I'm just going to live with the HTTP routing of you know one of these platforms and that's fine because I don't care about it. But other people will be like, no, that's fundamental to how I manage my services, right? And I, I'm gonna pick something where I actually configure that the way that I care about. Um, and so I think yeah. that's what the developers are. You know, that's the the thing you're trying to step through. And I think you know what people don't do 
And I think, you know, I've seen your presentation. I think what you're trying to do is like, hey, just you can do whatever you want. And every business is different. Just just go through this checklist, like make these decisions consciously. Don't just get in there and be like, wow, you know, when I get into Kubernetes, like just straight up generic Kubernetes, like I got a lot of work left. Right. And that may be OK, but just make sure that you signed up for it. Yeah. Yeah. No, that diagram is good. And I, I mean, I mean, in general, like, uh, you know, he's got Cloud Foundry in, in two of the columns and as generally like like that's. Like I said, like Tanzu has Cloud Foundry in it, so it's generally those columns that that apply there. Now, there's also like uh, the uh, the Wavefront stuff that VMware bought is uh, in in Tanzu as well, and also there's uh, there's a service mesh thing. What's Wavefront? I don't even know. What's what, what was that one? That, that's a. Uh, it's just it's just like uh, as 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 us old timers would call it. It's a monitoring uh, oh, SaaS. Oh, so okay. you know, it has well, no it, I yeah. just I filter that out. I'm just oh yeah. It, 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 oh it, it, here it is. Look at this. Yeah, it's dashboards. It has it has, oh. it has observability and APM oh. and like you know it hooks beautiful. up to Kubernetes. It's 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 systems management stuff. It's here, great. I'm gonna read it. It's enterprise ready's Kubernetes monitoring and observability. Yeah. There you go. Good. Yeah yeah yeah. So yeah. all right. So so it, you know there's other things in the brand there, but generally yeah no that this diagram is uh it's a fun diagram. So. You know, you know, let me, let me close out our, our Kubernetes corner. Uh, mm-hmm. cause I think, I think after all these years, I figured out, like I can, I can, as they say, stick a pin in this, like, this, like Columboing that I'm always doing about Kubernetes, which is like, you know, you know how it is, Brandon. You hear all these people like off the record making these snide comments and like kind of leering at you. Like a lot of people tell you like what's going on with people in the, in the tech community and like, you're always like, I don't know if I believe you or if you're just showing off or, or, or whatever. Like, I can't verify these things. It's, it's basically like, like, uh, you know, like a Michael Lewis book, like, or, mm-hmm. or, uh, or, uh, you know, what's the other guy? A Woodward book. Like, you read this stuff and you're like, really? Like, is that, did someone really talk about like flies on eyeballs and like a suitcase <laughs> full of $5 million? I, I don't know, really man. Happen? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, so, so there's this, there's this, uh, uh, what would you call it? It's not a meme, Brandon. What is like, what is like, like one of these conspiratorial ideas that floats around a community? What's, what's the word for that? I don't know. A rumor? A, uh, yeah. So, so, so there's, there, there's, there's one theory that scurries around in our community. And that is that like, that like Google was a little, little like reluctant at like releasing Kubernetes out to the world that some, some like, or they didn't quite know what they were doing or like, and and again, I don't. I have no idea what to believe. I'm just aggregating a bunch of like sentiment and, pe- and things that people say, right? <laughs> people say, uh, but you know, there's sort of like something goofy happened there that was like mm-hmm. sort of unintentional. That kind of like at first accidentally unleashed into this gigantic like big deal, right? Again, we need the Red Monk people to go and analyze how that happened and what the tipping points were and all that. And so, so like. And then, and then I guess there was some acceptance from Google or whoever else that like, well, I guess this is a thing. We can't put the, uh, the genie back in the bottle. I don't even know why they would want to. Right. Right. Uh, but I do remember several years ago, we were always like, uh, the conspiracy theory of why Google, Google released Kubernetes was to like, uh, commoditize this layer of the cloud stack, uh, as a way of damaging other stuff, which I, I don't think that worked, uh, as, as, <laughs> as far as like screwing people up. Um, and, and, and so like we had that conspiracy theory years ago. So then this new theory goes that like, like in some sort of goofy way, 
like they just let this out there, not taking it seriously or thinking anything would happen or whatever. And then, and now it's sort of like a big deal. So, so they're working on that. And, and then, and then sort of here we are. But like what, I, what I need is someone to like fill in this weird story for me. Right. Cause I only, I only hear these strange things out there uh, of people. Well, I think, I mean, the way I look at it is more, you have to kind of think of like the story that's being told now and then with hindsight. So the part I would put together would be, you know, going back in time, right? Docker, the container Docker and the company at the time was red hot. And so I think, you know, if you go back in time and say, okay, well, mm. there's a potential that Docker Swarm as we've talked about many times, like I think their goal was like we're going to be the new VMware, right? That was going to be their big thing. That was going to how they made billions of dollars and why their the valuation was so rich, right? And I think, at, the, at least at the time, I think we looked back and said, well, what happened was Google had so much experience with containers from the Borg environment, right? That they've been running for years and was, I guess somewhat legendary, right? In tech circles in Silicon Valley, and so many people had seemed to have left Google and created something similar, right? That that was like. They they sort of got wind of that and, and and said, well, why don't we go ahead and just you know release our our version of this because we've got the experience and it's a great way for us to jumpstart our cloud vision. So I don't know. So we can you know you can debate that like how well it was thought out versus like or did they just do it because it was an like interesting project and kind of no one if you will was mining the store. But now I think what has happened and the article that I saw back was just alluding towards to that Google executives were. You know, they they were sort of debating that they feel like they gave away too much, right? With yeah, like, well, yeah. Well, we put Kubernetes out there, and I've actually been in many companies where this has happened. So, like, only in hindsight do you feel like you gave away too much, because usually what has happened is like your the project is really successful, but you don't feel like your company is reaping the uh, right amount of of rewards, you know, revenue, if you will, from that. And yeah, so yeah, that yeah. leads to a lot of internal discussions. And of course, like, you know, QBRs, like we just talk about, right? Just the old, like, why aren't we winning more? Like someone saying, like, why aren't we winning more? We invented Kubernetes. We should be leading. You know, we should have more revenue than anybody that's using Kubernetes. That's a very, you know, whether it's right or wrong, it happens in a lot of QBRs, you know, once you're, you feel pressure to like, you're not meeting your expectations. So then yeah, that yeah, yeah. creates a lot of internal discussion where people are like, well, the reason we're not doing that. Is because we made this this decision and we gave it all away, right? It's, it becomes like a rationalization of like this is why we're not doing well. Um, but of course, like you know, it's easy for me to sit outside that because I'm not in the QBR, you know, accepting the like uh, <laughs> getting yelled at. Um, but like to me, you know, I think it's like, well, you really, if you hadn't done this, right, then what Docker Swarm or something else would have filled the void. So you didn't really miss yeah, out yeah, on yeah. anything. Yeah. It was gonna ha- it was gonna play out this way anyway. Like this was like at Sun Microsystems, it was the same kind of like way back in the day, right? It was the same kind of argument around Linux. It's like, well, we should have like open sourced uh, Solaris x86 at the time, right? but we didn't. And and people were like, well, because it's super valuable. And it's like, no, no, this this was always headed to some kind of open source co- commoditization. You know, so what Sun did or didn't do really, honestly, I don't think had a huge impact on what was going to become Linux, just like the same thing here. So, but yeah. I get it. Like, I do understand. I don't, I say that and I'm like, if I was in the QBR, and I was getting yelled at, and they're like, why isn't Kubernetes more? I would probably, like, my mind would start to rationalize, like, yeah, the reason is because we gave it away, and that's our problem, right? It's just, because it's just natural, right? Like, no one wants to be yelled at. You want to, like, make up reasons that, you know, that it isn't all your fault. And I think, you know, again, like, it just shows you how complicated business is. Yeah. Yeah, you know, that 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 all makes me think of, like, you know, one of my, uh, my, my, uh, 
one of my favorite principles, which is like, it's only stupid until it works, which, which is, which is, which is the positive way of saying like, you know, uh, people only like ideas that were, un, you know, people only dislike ideas that weren't successful. Right. <laughs> it's yeah. just, and, and, what, and, you know, like hindsight is, is whatnot, but yeah. And, yeah I, and you go, go back in time and you think about all the things that were announced that have come and gone, like Cisco had this big cloud initiative and I think HP had one, although I know they've yeah. introduced some stuff and it's like, so lots of people uh, tried, you know, to introduce lots of things and, you know, they didn't necessarily take off and I don't think anyone's like, oh. You know, oh, it's just so, it's too bad that Cisco didn't, you know, we gave up on such a great idea. It's like, no, you tried. It didn't take off. And so in this one, you're right. The one that becomes successful, right, are all the ones that people are like, oh, you know, if only we hadn't done this other thing. It's like, well, I mean, this, you know, you just never know, right? I mean, there's always a lot of counterfactual debating going on. Mm, counterfactual. I think I just finally <laughs> learned what that means. That's an interesting, con- but, you, you know, and, and, and to, uh, you know, to make sure to point it out, I don't know why four years ago when we started talking about Kubernetes, I didn't like read a book, but that's, it's always a good lesson. But now that I've actually, like, I have a, a, a beginner's understanding of like how it works, it actually is a really good idea. Like, <laughs> like, <laughs> like the, the, and, and I think, I, I think, I think, I think what, what, what attracts me to it and is the utility of, so, so in pivotal land, we used to call this, uh, an opinion, opinions, an opinionated architecture, which is to say there is one way of doing things, right? And, and it, and, you know, back to the point of the leaky abstractions, like as, as our friends Tasty Meat Paul, our friend Tasty Meat Paul will say, you can put any garbage you want into a container. And to extend that, you can put any garbage you want into Kubernetes, right? Like, so there's yep. that, right? You can always, you know, you can always uh, take a wonderful invention like a car and fill it full of garbage and like, you know, think that's something. Um, but if if you follow the opinion of how things should be packaged and run in Kubernetes, there is one way of doing it, right? And it's very like, it's relatively simple and there aren't that many variations, and so, like, I feel like, you know, if you go into a large organization, you're going to find no end of variation how potentially every single application is configured and packaged up, how how the whole release management, configuration management, and all the other stuff has been done over the years to it. Whereas if you have, like, this one model, now you have one model, right? And, mm-hmm. like, it's it's nice, right? Like, to have that, to decide on that as the standard way of doing things, just like everyone's decided... And I am in no way tied in this, but everyone's decided that like you use YAML, you don't use XML, you use, you use Git, (laughs) you don't use CVS subversion or whatever the other ones are, right? Like these are just the things that we use, right? So Mm -hmm. when we talk about version control, we use the conceptual landscape of Git, right? Like Mm -hmm. that's just how we think about it. And similarly, like there's a whole conceptual landscape that Kubernetes brings that, uh, that's nice. And like, OpenStack tried to do this sort of like with its stuff. And now as always, like the messy part, as I think I've joked about many times is like, you know, as, and Matt Ray, you know, is sympathetic because eventually someone's going to do some SSH screen scraping to configure your routers, <laughs> but that's fine. That's right. Right. That's like, fine. At least the well, there's two thoughts. One, uh, there's an article in here uh, this week that the, that the audience is welcome to read. Someone put windows NT four into Kubernetes. So there you go. There. I exactly. Think that's, there's something about garbage going into a container, uh-huh. and I and I think I do think your point there. I mean, I, I guess in the end, it I've always kind of come back to like you know, the container 
for better or for worse, right? I mean, back to the garbage, anything, you can put any garbage in a container, but what, what is it like an, another man's garbage is another, what one man's garbage is another man's treasure. And it's like, I think that's where it kind of starts where it's just like, it's, it's the right level of encapsulation for a lot of enterprises, right? People have so much time and energy and motivation built up into like how they've built things that if you just tell them like, okay, get this in a container and I can, you know, it'll help you make it easier to manage and run it. Like that's the, that's just the right level of encapsulation. Right. I mean, they go all the way back. It's like, you know, this idea that maybe like when we were sort of getting into the game a little bit, like, Hey, everything should just run in Java. It's like, you know, write once run anywhere. And it's like, no, people just, there's too many programming languages. People want to do other stuff. And like the container provides that just that nice balance, right? I'm not locking you in into anything too specific. As long as you can generally get in this form, then I can take care of you. And I think that's, you know, that's what people, I mean, at least at this moment, this is, that's what people want. So that's why we're seeing so much interest in this. Yeah. So in summary, you should use Tanzu. <laughs> that's right. And go, yeah, that's right. Go run in Tanzu. Well, like uh, before we wrap up, I just want to mention one brief thing that I, that I've been thinking about. We, we don't really have time to discuss it. Maybe we'll come back to it next time, but there was a, uh, there, there was one of those wonderful, uh, uh, like articles, congratulations to whatever agency lined up this interview of the oxide people. And if it wasn't, <laughs> a, if it wasn't an agency involved, even so much more the congratulations, but mm-hmm. that, that it was, uh, you know, I, 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 I won't find the link for it, but long ago, back when, when, uh, the cloud foundry people were still part of VMware, there was this great write up from Cade Metz. That is, that is like a, uh, it's not the prototype, but it's a it's an excellent example of this kind of piece where you know you you sit down with the uh, the startup people and inevitably there's a picture of all of them standing against a wall. Usually mm-hmm. they're smiling. You get bonus points if one of them is kind of like looking downward or looking at the other ones instead of directly at the camera, uh, which you can see in that old Cade Metz piece. But like it's 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 a, it's a good piece. Both of those pieces are great. And um, so the oxide people apparently what they're doing is uh, they're making. Uh, cloud native hardware which which uh that sounds great but but i but i think in my mind the thing that this tips the scale on is like we have no idea what the fuck is going on with public and private cloud now now that now that we've got these like you know these like these like cloud hipsters like doing things and they're basically you know building hardware for private clouds who knows Right. Like who, who, who knows what's happening uh, with that based on the surveys that exist. Um, so, uh, so it's good. No, I think it is, I do think on this, uh, on their picture, it's like, it, you know, it's always the profile picture. They always have this, like somebody leaning back and there's always brick. Have you ever noticed there's like a brick and a window in it? Brandon, that's, like that's where very, the innovation happens. I was walking I know, down but the it's street. It's like a very industrial, it's like an Edison, what does they call that? Like the Edison light bulb, uh, yeah. style. And then, um, like one person has their hand in the pan in their pockets the other person sort of has the like kind of like their hands folded a little bit it's it is like the most classic uh profile picture yeah uh, and, and, of all and, time. and let me be clear again i don't think either of us is throwing shade or being snarky about it we are celebrating the aesthetics of this type of thing oh absolutely no it i think we should like, like, i think I, you know to kind of go back we'll get off this in a second just simply it's like it does seem like I like the fact that it's counterintuitive, right? That's kind of the point they're they're making in the articles. Like, hey, no one's making hardware, but there's a place for us to make hardware. Uh, I even think what would sell, and I know they're not going to do this, but I think what would sell, uh, be an easy way for them to get a bunch of notoriety would be to sell, if you will, a relatively cheap 
like I'm just going to call it like developer home server, right? Mm. Like, hey, I just want to like learn all this and I want to like use the late, I want to use all their kind of clean hardware and the clean BIOS and all that kind of stuff. And I'm going to, I don't know what they would run. Like I'm, I'll spend a thousand dollars, kind of like I have this analogy sitting here. I was like, I'll send a thousand dollars and I want the cleanest, coolest thing. And I can like run anything, all this cloud stuff myself and like really learn it. I think that would be, I think people would be all over that. Now I know that's not a business like for them to like, be worth billions of dollars, but I think that would be in the uh, one of our many business books. That would be a great way to like you know yeah, uh, yeah, if you will disrupt yeah. the market. Like, hey, I'm going to teach. I'm going to let all these developers learn and teach and play around with this, and then later on, um, they'll be in the company and they'll be hey, they'll be saying like, hey, we should buy uh, Oxide. I will yeah. say this though. The final point on this is like the the author. I he went on a he definitely found a contrarian point of view because the analyst quote was like was just was just scorching. They just like destroyed them. I was like, wow, that uh, analyst quote yeah. quote was uh, pretty harsh. But, but oh well, you know it's all right. You know, time will tell. I think they're uh, they're off to. Uh, It'll be fun to watch. That's for sure. Yeah, analysts don't know what's happening either. It's <laughs> like, anyways. Uh, well, you know, we we did our feedback. We went over the ice tea stuff. Hey, if you want stickers, uh, you should go to softwaredefinedtalk dot com slash two two two. You can find out how to get stickers, join Slack channels, all the sort of like meta details of uh, of what's going on there. But the, but but you know that said that said. This week, Brandon, what do you have to recommend to people? Well, I'll just give a quick shout out to our, our friends at Arrested DevOps Podcast. You should go listen to them. I think uh, our friend Matt, Matty Stratton, he's, uh, word is, when I say word, the Twitter feed says he's moving on to a new job. So who knows? Maybe you should listen and he'll tell you where he's he's going. Uh, and then as, Co- uh, as Cote said, uh, <clears throat> make sure to uh, email me your postal address at stickers at softwaredefinedtalk.com. Happy to send you a sticker anywhere in the world. So my recommendation this week, really just more uh, of a tip. There were so many tips about like working from home and this other stuff, and I don't really have anything to say on that, but I will say this. It's like I uh, wanted to resubscribe to the New York Times because there's a lot happening in the world. And so this is what I like to do, especially with things where I'm like, oh, I was like, hmm, am I going to use this? I just buy myself gift cards for it. So I just like go in, I get like the deal, but I buy the gift card and then I sign up for the uh, the service. And then when the gift card runs out, I you know that that's sort of like a prompt for me to like, did I really like this? Should I re-sign mm. up? So I like to do that. I've done that for like uh, HBO Now and these other things. So so we, we talked a little bit not so much this episode, but like power of defaults, right? So the way that you can defeat the power of defaults is like build in like a subscription thing that like forces itself to cancel. And then you have to actually make um, a decision. So so if you like, uh, obviously, I don't need to tell you about the New York Times, but if you're going to get it, use the gift card. And it's only $75 for the whole year. So it's a good little deal off their other thing. The other thing I'm going to throw out, just because I don't know, I, I, I don't know the group, if this applies, but I feel like there was a p- time when the ING Direct Bank was extremely popular for people that just wanted a high interest savings account. I used it. I know many people that did. And if you've been following that, they got acquired by Cap One, like, I don't know, many years ago now. Yeah. And so Cap One did a thing that I did not I do not like this. They did the dirty trick. They they basically offer up a new savings account called the Cap One 360 Performance Savings, which has which is the one everyone wants. It has the high interest rate. But if you came in through the acquisition or you've just been sitting around, you haven't been paying attention, they just take your old account and they just make, give you the low interest rate. So if you find yourself in this position, go to your Cap One and either you know, go to another bank or switch off and make sure to get the higher interest rate. So again, like there, there they won, the power of defaults, because I don't check my savings account that much. I just like left the money there. They, they beat me on that. So don't, mm. don't fall prey to that. Go, go check your interest rates. Get a good interest rate for your money. <sighs> 
You know, you know, let, let me, exactly. let me, yeah, yeah. I, I was an ING customer long. I, yeah. I was, I was those people. I used to work, use, not work at, I used to use next bank if you remember that, but uh, yeah, I need to go look into that. You know, I, I, uh, I, I did a bunch of financial rearrangement and I got a bunch of shit over there at Schwab and I tried to open like a Schwab account. And Oh my God, if you like are an expat, the banks are just like, fuck you. Like it is so hard to do any kind of banking stuff if you like are an expert. Well, I think that's the you know we talk about software locking all the time, and like and I you know what's going on here because I even called them. I'm like, can you just switch the account? Like I I just want that's what I want. Like you have to open a new account, right? And it's like it is uh, as I think you. I mean, I don't even have the expat situation, but like there's just so much inertia to have to open another account. And then I'll spare everyone the long story. But then, of course, you know, not surprisingly, I'm married. So then I want the account to be a joint account. Then I have to, <laughs> then I have yeah, to explain yeah. to my wife. And she's like, what are we doing? Like, why is this so complicated? You know, it just it just spawns so much effort. Right. And you're just I you know, it makes me angry. But I'll, so anyway, yeah. go, me, go me, check me, on it for yourself. Meanwhile, like Costco just sends you your check every year. Done. That's like they just perfect. Yeah. Got All right. Cash the other day. All mm-hmm. right. Well, I, I have a, I have a recommendation and, and then, and then like a, uh, more, more of a comment as it will. So first of all, uh, I'm, I'm going to be my, my sister, one of my sisters is here in uh, Amsterdam. So I'm going to go pick her up tonight. And it reminded me that I've picked, I've done this practice. Now, whenever I use an Uber for work travel, I just book whatever the cheapest thing, not, I'm not an animal. So I don't like Uber pool. I mean, for Christ's sake, <laughs> I'm like in my forties. Uh, but, I, what I've discovered is that when when you're on family time, what you should do is always pay the extra money to book the uh, the black Uber. Now it's going to cost okay. you more, but yeah. it's just like treat yourself, right? Like Enjoy it's okay. It. Yeah. Like like you know you're worth it, as whatever ads used to say. And like you'll get like here here you usually get like a brand new uh, Mercedes with that gigantic oh, nice. screen in it. Like it's odd. Like. I don't know where the Teslas are in Amsterdam. People get Teslas a lot when they come here. Like I very rarely get a Tesla. So it is kind of odd. Wow. That's but cool. yeah, just like if, if you're doing, if you're like the family's going to the airport, you're coming back from the airport. Let's say you've got friends in town. You're going to go get a rice table, get an Uber black. Just like oh, okay. what, you know, what else are you doing? Right. Eat, eat, eat like a, eat like a Nighthawk meal one night and take that money <laughs> and uh, get yourself an Uber. Now, the other thing. You know, as, as I think people in the Slack know, I have this, this, uh, strange obsession with that pivot podcast. I'm trying to figure out how to extract lessons from it. And I think, mm-hmm. I think, I think the summary that people have told me is correct is like, you're fine. Those people are just insane and entertaining. Don't worry about <laughs> it. But, but I've been trying to figure out this, this, as always, the Scott, Scott Galloway guy. And I think maybe he is the first representation of this phrase we have in the tech world outside of the tech world which is this phrase has been i think as the kids like to say canceled but he is a good example of strong opinions loosely held and if you listen to the pivot podcast you'll see that he'll make these gigantic bombastic statements and then like if they don't if they pan out he's like yeah i told you which is fine and if they don't pan out he's like yeah i was wrong about that and and uh yep didn't work out and so like it is like an interesting, like you don't see that very much in people who make such strong comments about stuff. And so I don't know. He's, he's a mysterious person to figure out as far as rhetorically, because on the face of it, he's a total, um, asshole and like, you know, is very bombastic. And he's like the manifestation of a gigantic, very successful white man. And so it's sort of like this, this font of noise, I don't think is allowed anymore. And yet it's works. I don't know. 
I'm very confused by it. So that's my current like uh, rhetorical study thing <laughs> going on there. I like it, the dissection of uh, Scott Galloway. Yeah, I agree. I think he does. I think I think he, he, he confuses any anything um, that confuses me intrigues me, and I just yeah, I don't know what's I going on. There. I think the one uh, add on I'd say too is like he doesn't just own like he owns it. I guess that's the thing. Like he'll like he won't yeah. just like deflect it. He'd be like, I was wrong. I was totally wrong about that, right? And I think oh, yeah, that yeah, yeah. Yeah. is what um, one very few people do. I mean, that's a very hard skill in life to be like, I totally got that wrong. You know, and I think he is like really, but he's sort of uncovered a superpower there by doing that. It just, you know, it endears him to you, right? You're like, oh, you know, we all get stuff wrong. And then, then he goes on to make another one. And you're like, cause I think he also often tells you like that, that I got it wrong. Here's what I thought. And here's why it was wrong. And I think yeah. that's the part that is like, oh, that's endearing. I wish more people would do that. Yeah. In my and, life. And, and, so. and, you know, another highly related thing, and then we'll wrap up here thing, his, his co-host, Kara Swisher, like <laughs> she said something once that I think about very frequently, which is like they were talking about something and she was like, oh, yeah, I always talk about how awesome I am. And I was like, <laughs> oh, yeah, I guess she does. And that yeah. makes sense, right? Yeah, like that, that is, sure. uh, people should consciously do that because why not? <laughs> but yeah, yeah, especially, yeah. Anyways, well, as always, this has been Software Defined Talk. You can get the show notes for this episode at softwaredefinedtalk.com slash 222. Now, you should really sign up for that uh, that spring live thing we have next week over there on Thursday, March 19th, 24 hours. So you can just check in for an hour here or there, whatever you want to do. Uh, I guess I'll be opening up at 9 a.m. California time. I got to look up what time that is in, in Amsterdam. But, uh, you know, with that... Uh, you know, we'll see everyone next time. Bye-bye. Bye. Bye. <laughs> cool kid, real fucking brat. You know, this is a very complicated case, Mom. A lot of ins, a lot of outs. Uh, you know, fortunately, I'm adhering to a pretty strict uh, drug uh, regimen to keep my mind, you know, uh, limber. And I'm... <laughs> Very fucking close to your father's money. I keep telling you it's the foundation.